You're listening to a teaching podcast on the book of Ephesians. Uh, If you've been following along, we've been diving into this letter written by the Apostle Paul and unpacking some of the major themes and points of doctrine and theology that we find in this rich letter. And uh, we have covered a wide gamut of doctrines. I mean, we go all the way from predestination, adoption, the inheritance we receive, to uh, salvation by faith alone in Christ alone, to the relation between Jews and Gentiles with the coming of Christ and and the formation of the church, which is this new creation uh, that is the fulfillment of all of God's purposes through the history of the Bible, and talking about the life of this new organism, the church, how God has given by the Spirit different gifts to members of the church to serve one another. And he's also given pastors and teachers and shepherds and evangelists to uh, equip the body of Christ to grow up into maturity. And then we drill down into some some specifics of that, how, how Christians are to treat one another with tenderheartedness, bearing with one another, speaking the truth in love, sometimes saying hurtful things in the moment that are ultimately loving in the end. And having truth be the, uh, the, 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 the main thrust of what we're doing, but a truth that is undergirded with the desire for the good of the other, which is defined as love. That, that's what love is. It seeks the good of another, even if the process of seeking that good may be received as hurtful in the moment from the person who's, who's hearing the truth. And so these are all ethics of the Christian life. And the whole goal is that we're imitating God. We're his beloved children, and so we're going to act like people who are raised in the household of God, which is going to be distinct and countercultural from the world. And that's where we find ourselves in the last portion of Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be reading Ephesians 5, verses uh, 18 to to 33. And we're going to see how how this countercultural life in Christ, how, how being a Christian uh, works itself out in the life of the church and in the different spheres of society, and, and in particular, how it works itself out in marriage. What does it look like to be a Christian husband or a Christian wife? What does that mean? How does the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ transform how we understand these social realities? So I'm going to read uh, chapter 5, starting in verse Eighteen, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish." In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. 
This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. We have three major commands uh, in this passage. We have a command that is a prohibition, do not get drunk with wine, and then a command of uh, a positive command. But instead of being drunk with wine, which is debauchery, be filled with the Spirit. And then Paul fills out what being filled with the Spirit is. And there are two additional commands that he focuses on. The command for wives to submit to their husbands as unto the Lord, and for husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. So what we see here is, again, a general principle. You need to be filled with the Spirit as opposed to being filled with alcohol, right? But being filled with the Spirit isn't some kind of ecstatic experience. Being filled with the Spirit is, is a, a form of obedience. It is having the Spirit of God empowering you to obey the Word of God. And we see this because Paul explicitly tells us, what do I mean by being filled with the Spirit? Number one, address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs and sing to the Lord with your heart. So it's amazing what he says here. He says that when you gather as a local church and you sing, it's not just about the band. They're not making a performance for an audience, but the whole congregation is singing to God and to each other. We're addressing one another in song. So we're actually ministering to each other by the way that we sing. And that worship in the, in the narrow sense of musical worship is part of being filled with the Spirit. The fact that we sing the truths of God is a ministry to our brothers and sisters in our congregation. The second thing is we give thanks always and for everything. That in all situations, we are grateful, right? We, we, we make a practice of saying we're grateful for who God is, for what he's done in our lives, what he has done for the church. That is being filled with the Spirit. And then finally, we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, right? And submission is going to work out itself in different ways depending on our social relationships. But the general idea is that we defer to one another. We privilege the other person's interests. We count others as more significant than ourselves. That should be the, the basic mode of operation between Christians. We see the best in each other. We don't try to lord authority over one another, right? We love one another, and this is how we revere Christ. So this singing, this giving thanks, and this submitting are three aspects of being filled with the Spirit. And I think it's fascinating that people who often turn to alcohol to deal with their problems, uh, they don't have a reverence for their fellow man. Uh, they aren't thankful for things. Usually they're very bitter about things. And there's no sense of joy that you would get from singing. I mean, it almost is this Two uh, very different pictures. The person filled with the Spirit is filled with community and joy and self-giving. And the person who's filled with wine is full of debauchery and rebellion and self-centeredness. And so the call is that if we were to imitate Christ, we're going to look very different from the way the world operates. And those are three aspects in which we do that. Now, we go from that final aspect of submitting to one another out of Christ, and we parse it out in terms of the marriage relationship. So Paul at the time, it's writing in a society where it was generally accepted, just like in Jewish culture that Paul grew up in, that the man was the head of the home. And Paul says, that's not merely a cultural thing. That's just a simple reality. But maybe in the ancient culture, not maybe, this is usually what happened. In the ancient culture, uh, women were considered as property. And so there were some negative overtones to the household codes of, of the Roman day. But what Paul does is interesting. He says, 
the role of the husband as head is not wrong. In fact, that's God's design. And the role of the wife as the one who follows and submits to her head is also a creation design. But I want you to take that and not let culture inform how the husband is a head, but rather have Christ inform what it means to be the head. And what it means for the church to submit to Christ is the model for what it means for a wife to submit to a husband. So he's taking a a social order and saying, we do it differently because we're Christians, or rather we recapture what it was originally meant to do. And I'll explain that a little more when we look at this first command. Wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord. A couple things to note. Wives, submit to your own husbands. It's not saying that women submit to men, but that a specific woman submits to a specific man who is her husband. So it is a very specific kind of submission. But notice this submission is ultimately a submission to the Lord. So her ultimate allegiance is to Jesus Christ. And the way that she shows her reverence for Christ is she submits to her husband. And it's fascinating that women, that wives are addressed first. That's, that is very countercultural in Paul's day. But he's affording this high esteemed view of women and saying, women, you and, and wives, you have this role that God has called you out to play. And it is integral to the health of the church and the health of the family that you do this. And notice Paul says the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church. That's really important. The role of head is not something that the husband earns. In the same way that Christ doesn't earn the role of head, he simply is the head and a husband simply is the head of the wife. So it's not a matter of whether the man is leading in the home. It's what kind of leadership is it? And anyone who's grown up in a divorced family and you see that empty chair where your dad's supposed to be knows that dad is still leading in a certain way. It's just leading in a negative way. His presence and his absence have weight because he is the head. And it is an, it is an inescapable reality. And we see the, the plague of fatherlessness. We see the devastation of divorce in our society. And we know this to be true. And Paul is saying God has designed the father, the husband to be the head of the home. And he's going to either exercise that in a positive or negative way, but he can't not be the head. He can't not be leading. It's, it's in what way is he leading? So Paul is, is drawing on this imagery of saying, wives, you need to follow your husbands. You need to submit to them because the husband is the head. And, he's, and he says, look, you're playing the role of the church. The church submits to Christ and wives should submit as well to their husbands. And this is such a a key idea to understand because Christ leads the church, right? Christ sacrifices the church as we're going to see, but Christ also has authority over the church. And as much as Christ is the Savior, he's also the Lord of the church. Now, we're not talking about tyrannical husband leadership, but we are saying that if a husband's going to have responsibility, if he's going to if the buck stops with him, he also has to have agency. He also has to have the authority to direct things. Otherwise, in Christ's case, Christ's lordship doesn't mean anything. If Christ is Lord, but he can't actually direct the church, then it's really a meaningless title. And if the husband is the head, but he can't actually direct uh, his wife and his family for their good in service, then he's not really given the authority. So this is really important. Sometimes we only focus on the servant part of Christ and not the, the, the leader part of Christ where he's actually leading the church out into the world. 
Now, we're going to dig a little more deeper into that when we come to this next command. Husband loves your wa- husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So, husbands are to imitate Christ. How? He gives his life up for her. He protects her. He sanctifies her. Uh, he cleanses her by the washing of water with the word. I think that's, a, that's an image of Christ baptizing the church, right? Purifying her. And the whole point is Christ, how, why does Christ leave the, lead the church? Why does he exercise authority over the church? It's not for his gain. It's so that the church might be presented as spotless and blameless, that she might be all that she can be. In a similar way, a husband, he, he leads his wife, not because he can be a little despot running around, running things and being in, all in charge. He does it. He uses his authority in order to make sure that his wife is all that she has been called to be, that she would be beautiful and spotless before the Lord. That's why Paul says, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. That's an amazing thing. There's a unity there, right? A husband and wife become one. In other words, there's a radical equality between a husband and his wife. So much so that the, that the husband loves his wife and should treat her like he would want to be treated. He has to treat her uh, with the same care that he would want his own body to be treated. In other words, she has rights. She has a right to be treated with the same dignity that a husband would want him to feel from somebody else. So Paul is saying, look, far from being tyrannical, this kind of leadership is a leader who serves. This is a leader who uses his authority and his responsibility and his agency for the good of those who are under his leadership. That when a man leads his family, everybody flourishes. In the same way, when a king leads well and serves his people well, the whole nation flourishes. And I love how Paul says, this mystery is profound, right? That a a man leaves his mother and father and holds fast to his wife and they become one one flesh. And he's saying, this is the Christ and church relationship. That if you want to know how a marriage should work, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus and how he loves the church. Uh, Look at how Jesus will oftentimes speak uncomfortable truths to the church. That he's not afraid. He's not living for the church's approval, but he is living to serve the church. In the same way, husbands should not live for their wives' approval, but rather they should live to serve their wives and to make sure that their wives are flourishing and growing in the Lord. And wives are to do the same for their husbands in in the manner of submitting to them and trusting them and respecting them. That's why Paul says each wife uh, should respect her husband and each husband should love his wife. That there's a complementarity to this, that men need women and women need men. We need each other. We're not isolated. We're not in competition. This is not about competition. This is a dance. Right? In a dance, a man has a part, a woman has a part. And the man leads, but he leads so that the woman can also follow and she can perform her part and exemplify her beauty in that dance. And it's a give and take. It's a give and take. It's not a top-down hierarchy. It's not a master to a subordinate. It's two dance partners playing out their unique God-given roles to create something beautiful, to create something that actually images Christ's love for the church. So instead of seeing this as some archaic, old-fashioned, traditional, Paul's misogynist, all this stuff, we should embrace this. This is good. It is good that God calls wives to submit to their own husbands. It is good that God calls husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. It is good, holy, and something that we ought to embrace as Christians, especially considering the culture that we live in. Thanks for listening to this. Uh, Pass along to your friends. Leave a review. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast. 
And we are going to continue on in the book of Ephesians. So make sure you join us again next week.